for whatever reason, instead of me going on a vacation, like after she had passed away and I had this bereavement just to get away, something told me to get my real real estate license. I don't know where, why, how, I just, I just, I says, you know what, I'm gonna give it a shot. Even though I was getting paid peanuts with the corporate company, I started to fall in love with real estate and I wasn't getting paid for it. Now this is important because no matter what, if you're, you're listening to this, any of the people that are out there listening to this, and if you're going through something right now and you're like, what do I do with my life? Go with what you work, do something in life that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. I started to realize I wasn't making any money, but I was craving to learn about real estate. Maybe it was the independence. I didn't have to, you know, like operate like a robot in the corporate world. Hello, and welcome to the Agent Podcast with your host, that's me, Raymond Shulseth. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the Agent Podcast. I am here with my buddy, Lou Gaida, coming to us out of Brooklyn, New York. Lou, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Ray. It's a privilege, man. I appreciate you jumping on with me. Likewise, definitely an honor and a privilege for me as well. Thank you. So Lou, I always start with why real estate? (laughs) Why real estate? Well, to be perfectly honest, I never thought in a million years I would be a real estate agent. Growing up, I like to kind of like summarize my story as finding my home, my own home which I feel is, is perfect. It's a perfect title for, you know, finding my own home for my story. Because uh, initially uh, I, had, uh, I had aspirations of becoming an attorney out of college. I wanted to go to law school. I thought that, you know, and then I also, I, I wore many hats in college too, even before I didn't know really what I wanted to do when I was in college. I did, however, which is interesting, when I was in college, uh, which I attended UMass, UMass Boston, while I was in college, I had gotten my license up in Massachusetts, and but I didn't make any money off of it. I just wanted to learn. I had this like addicting, like crave, like a craving to learn about everything. Uh, I, I tapped into my own. I think at some point in my life, because before, when I was a kid, I, I didn't really see myself as the student, um, and I'll get I'll get into that later. Like into a, as a student, uh, a person. So that I would actually be uh, someone who would learn and, and, and invest in education. I wasn't really prone on that type of uh, mindset. However, as life just happens to be, when I was in college, I wanted to learn a whole bunch of stuff. I was I was an economics major, a poli sci minor, and um, and what happened was was I kind of wanted to also understand the real estate crash of 2008. I wanted to learn all of that stuff, so I got my real estate license, but I really never made any money. I went on a couple of appointments and I crashed and burned, and and then I just kind of put it away and uh, and and left real estate altogether, and and I just you know I wound up taking on the next step of my journey. Uh, which was after graduation, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. My story starts uh, humbly. My mother and father, I come from a divorced family, um, white Caucasian. A lot of people would think that maybe, uh, you know, I I had money and stuff like that. No, I didn't have any of that stuff. Um, Nothing was really planned for me, my family. There was no, uh, you know, you're going to go to education, uh, go to college, education fund, nothing like that. Again, my parents were divorced. I was primarily raised by my grandmother, who is not with us. She's in heaven now. Um, she was my heart. Um, my mother did. Everybody, let me put it this way for the record. Everybody did help with my upbringing. But my grandmother was, my Nana was the one that was my anchor. She was my rock. She was your rock, yeah. No question. And we didn't, I, I like to always say when I tell this story that I'll, we didn't have, we weren't rich with money. We were, ri- I think she was rich with wisdom. Like she didn't have a lot of money to like pass down, but her wisdom was priceless. And I think that I, I had a, I thank God for this, that I had the wherewithal the, to, to actually identify it at a young age and actually like take every moment that I had with her and absorb as much as I could of her wisdom, because that I felt was gearing me up for the rest of my life after her. And um, I think that's beautiful between uh, uh, someone who is an elder to pass down whatever, whatever capacity 
you know, to pass that down to someone else uh, who's younger. I think we need a lot more of that in, in society to teach our youth. So Nana passed down a lot of wisdom down to me. And with that being said, uh, I wound up, I, so what happened, the long and short, I, I went to school, but I didn't think I was actually going to go to school. I played two, two years semi-professional hockey out of high school. I was a goaltender. I traveled to Europe. I played in Sweden, Finland. I was, uh, I was a very competitive person. I, I'm a former athlete. Uh, and, uh, as a goaltender, if you, if you're familiar with hockey, it's not, it's actually a very tough role. There's only one, one goaltender on the ice at a time. There's not two goaltenders. You can't have two goaltenders, you know, at, at a time, um, in the net. Uh, so, um, it was a very competitive position and I, I kind of started to learn my natural ability on, on what type of competitor I am, what kind of survivor I am. Uh, how I'm going to be later on in life with when I, when, when I was playing sports and playing hockey. Uh, when I first, and, and for instance, this, this quick story, when I first started out and, and I played uh, junior hockey, I had actually gotten picked up by a team called the Boston Junior Blackhawks out of Saugus, Massachusetts. And we played on an Indian reservation. It was so cool. Uh, it, was, it was one of the greatest times of my life. But I was actually picked as the third string, meaning the third, so not the backup, the backup backup for the team. And they, they picked these other two guys. And this one other guy, um, he was, he was like uh, six foot. I'm, I was only five, nine, five, 10, which I still am today. And they also had this other kid and these other guys that these other two goaltenders were very well groomed and they, they had goalie coaching and me, I came from the streets of Brooklyn. I came from literally, you know, putting together all of my pads. Like I had to you know, I, I used regular shin guards as a player uh, for my knee pads. My mom and I didn't have a lot of money, especially when my mother was a single parent and she was working. Um, so uh, we did the best that we could. And I and me and my friends would just come up with this like imagination of like being in the net. And, and you know, they, we would be like, OK, from the lamppost to the front gate of the neighbor's house, that's going to be the goal. And Louis the goalie. And that's what, what would it be. So that's where I started. I started from that, where these other guys, they had all of this grooming and they were in clinics and all of this goalie training, et cetera. Oh, well, long story short, I wound up being um, the, the, the third string. I didn't even really see much of the ice. But one thing that I said to myself when I found out that I was going to be the third goaltender was, was that I didn't come up here to be a practice goaltender. I didn't move up to Boston to become a practice goaltender. I came up to Boston to be a number one goaltender and represent where I'm from and, and be that catalyst. So day in and day out, I started to train. I started to, to, to uh, work out and I would be the first one on the ice and the last one off the ice. And I, and my, my coaches started to see this. And eventually at some point, one of our top goaltenders wound up getting traded and then uh, to another team. And then it bumped me up to now being the backup for real. Well, one night we had a big game. And that one big game, I remember we were neck and neck with this one team that was just really, really tough uh, for first place we were competing for. And the goaltender that was supposed to play that night, not me, it was supposed to be the other guy, comes in and says that he can't play. And I says, it tells me. And I says, what? what are you talking about? You can't play. He says, I just can't do it. I don't feel right tonight. I says, well, you're going to go to the coach and you're going to tell him that. I said, so that, you know, because I'm not going to go to him and tell him that you're going to have to tell him that. And I want him to see that. And like, so that now it's like, all right, this kid, Lou, we're going to give him a shot. Well, they finally did. And they finally gave me a shot. And from then on, I never let go of that night. We won that night. I didn't give up one goal. We won that night. And we won consistently. I think we must have won like about 10 straight games after that. And I had three shutouts within that, those 10 games. I never gave up that net. Um, it was something I worked hard for. And so why I told this side mini story, why is because when you have that fire in you, especially at a young age and you know it, and any of, I guess, whoever's listening to this, if you're an athlete, um, you can relate to this. Believe in that fire, but make sure that it comes with, all of like, you're not just doing it. You know, you're not just going to like pursue a goal and, 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 um, how can I say, um, you know, just, Oh, I'm going to wing it. No, don't wing it. You got to be there, be there like a half an hour before practice, an hour after practice, 
ask your coaches, find out what is it that I need to do? What, what is it that I need to do in order to improve my game uh, or whatever it is? It could be just anything, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be sports. So I worked very hard for that position. And I think that that was a prelude. God was kind of giving me a prelude that Lou, this isn't going to just be such an easy road, but I'm going to, I'm going to test you and I want to see you know, how you're going to react to this and what you're going to do with it. Now, I could have easily just packed up and said, screw this, I'm the third string goaltender. No. Instead, I worked harder. And when my shot came, I ran with it. I capitalized on that opportunity. So getting back to why real estate, I think it all has a lot to do with it, is, is that I was at a point where in my life where I was at a major crossroads. I was, uh, after college, I graduated in 2012. I was a late... Um, graduate uh, for my age group uh, because I played two years semi-pro hockey. And then I graduated with honors. I, I became a student. I, let me put it this way, folks. I was a kid that came from Brooklyn that what you did in our neighborhood was you, you lived your life. You had so much fun. You worked for the weekends. You partied on the weekends. And you didn't worry about what your life was going to be later down the road. You knew that you were going to become uh, some type of city worker, whether it be a blue-collar firefighter, uh, police, sanitation, you were going to take the city test and that was basically it. And there's nothing wrong with those professions. I love all of those professions and all my friends that are in it. Um, but that's how you grew up. That was my culture. And nobody really went to college. Nobody went to UMass. But what happened was, was when I was in Massachusetts, how God just had it, I was, I was seeing a girl at the time and her parents were the ones to say, no, Lou, there's something about you. We think that you should actually apply for school. And in that trend, in that, that instance, I wound up actually like taking their advice and I became someone that I never knew I was actually capable of being. I became a man because that age group was from, I, li- I left Brooklyn from 18 to uh, 27. So I became a man that time, like, you know? And so wound up being that like, I became this, this student, the person that I never knew actually existed. I started to love school. I loved economics. I had in high school, one of the things that I loved in high school was economics and, 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 and government. And one of my teachers said that, you know, you should really major that in, in college. And I said, I put it in the back of my mind. Yeah, sure. I'm taking the firefighter test. I'm taking all the other tests. I don't know about college, but God has a certain way. And I guess the vehicle was, was uh, hockey. He brought me out of the distractions of my neighborhood uh, where there was drugs and there was all of these different, uh, there was alcohol and, and there was parties and all of this stuff that could get you into a whole bunch of trouble. He took me out of that environment and he used hockey as a vehicle to move me into a, a, into a totally different environment, which was away from everything. And, and then I made it whatever I could make of it. So uh, he gave me this, this gift and, and I, I, I went to school. I did very well. Uh, and then after graduating with honors, I needed to enter the workforce in 2012. Now, 2012, we had an Occupy Wall Street. We had a whole bunch of stuff that was going on in the country. It was turbulent at that time. The market had crashed in 2008. We were really in college. That's what we were focusing on, especially since uh, in the economics department, well, how this happened, why this happened. And so I, when I came out of college, I actually came out of college thinking, I'm riding my white horse because again, I'm a kid that's like a minority in my demographic because I'm coming out of a out of UMass, UMass Boston. I went to school in, in Massachusetts and and uh, nobody really did that in my neighborhood. So I'm thinking, hey, I have this wonderful, I don't want to say like a sense of entitlement, but I was like, hey, I accomplished something big here. You know, like I'm guaranteed a job. I, I, I this is this is great because that's what we were told when we were kids. You're going to start off in elementary school, high school. And then if you really want a good job, go to college, go to college. Okay. So all of this on top of the fact that I had cousins of mine that they came from nothing. They made their money later on in life. They did some college, some didn't. Uh, and I, I had some family members that I said to myself, again, I just came out of college. 
Um, I had some family members that previously uh, they had said to me, oh, Lou, you know, when, when you uh, when you finally come back out of college, don't worry, I'll, ha- I'll help you out with a job. And these were people that were really near and dear to me. Now, they didn't have to, you know, but since they offered, why would you offer something like that and not fulfill it? I don't know. But when I came out of college and I had this education, this mindset that I was going to go into this beautiful Wall Street job. I was going to find a job in the financial district in Manhattan, do the whole happy hour with chicks and all of this stuff because I was in my early to mid 20s. You know, it was going to be, it was, it was like a, a, like a total shocker when all of those dreams wound up becoming a nightmare. And how did it become a nightmare was when, and I just, I still don't know to this day, nor do I care, but I had a, I had a dear cousin of mine that he really disappointed me in life. He was the one who I thought was going to be the, uh, I wasn't looking for a handout. I was looking for a hand up. I like to say, I was looking just for a chance. I'd never been in trouble with drugs or alcohol or anything else like that. Never, never nothing with the law, uh, breaking the law or anything. Um, still don't know to this day. But nevertheless, it's a beautiful story because now I understand why God made it happen. I'm I'm very happy where I am now. But nevertheless, I came to him for a job and he he rejected me. He says to me, he says, you got to make it on your own. And I was shocked because initially I thought that he was going to help me with a job in the city. All through college, I worked uh, as a security officer. So I had no other choice but to fall back on that. And I became a security officer with a college degree. And day in and day out, when kids would come in with, um, and I would see them come in for interviews, they'd come in for interviews and they'd get the job. And here I am, I'm processing IDs. And now there's nothing, look, there's nothing wrong with that profession. I think, you know, I thank everybody who does security because I used to be a security officer, but that's not what I went to school for, right? When you worked your ass off in college and, and, and you, you worked all through college, like, again, I didn't have a nest egg. My parents didn't have, this was all on me. My old man said that if you want to go to college, I'm not paying for it. And my father was a plumber. My mother worked in the corporate area and the corporate, uh, she was a executive services supervisor, which means like she was the head of the receptionists for a big company. Well, you know, I didn't really have that, that luxury of, of, okay, you know, you're going to be granted uh, scholarships, you know, or anything like that. I, it was hard work. And it was when I was in college, it was, I went from college, I set my schedule from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. That was my classes. And then from 3 to 11, I would work the the the, uh, the shift. Uh, and then what happened was, was I would pick up overnight shifts and et cetera, et cetera. I really worked my ass off all through college. Um, and, and it was great because at six o'clock when everybody would leave, I would open up my books and I would start studying. So I, I had no other choice but to resort back to that because I needed some type of income. And I, I worked uh, in a, a bunch of buildings in Manhattan. I worked for Saks Fifth Avenue, which was really cool. That was a cool experience um, as a security uh, supervisor there. And uh, well, it wasn't doing it for me. And my mom wound up, that her company wound up actually doing some type of, I guess, merger or whatever it was. And she received a package to retire. And at her retirement dinner, there was a gentleman there who was a very big to do in her company. And, uh, and he actually, he, he was, I, I have to give him credit. He did take a chance with me. He said, he knew, he knew I wasn't happy, nor was I really where I should have been in life as a security officer. And uh, he says, you know, why don't I, why don't we, why don't we talk? Okay, fantastic. Well, lo and behold, he wound up grabbing me and saying, okay, look, I'm going to take you in with one of the companies that I'm uh, moving over to, I'm, I'm leaving this company, I'm moving over to another company, and uh, you'll start off from the ground. No problem. This was great. I thought this was it. I says, this is fantastic. This is my big break. I'm going to finally break that, 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 that glass ceiling, and I'm going to shoot for the moon, and I'm going to have that nice big corporate job in the city, and I'm going to do all those wonderful things. And the, my dreams were becoming a reality, or so I thought. Then I started to learn about the corporate life. And I would dress to the nines every day because the way I looked at it is, is that I wanted to become a sales person for this company. This company specializes in financial technology sales for bank or broker dealers, the financial industry, et cetera. And it was big stuff. And I said, uh, and it was intimidating. It was because it, there was a lot of knowledge and you had to really know your stuff. And at first it was very tedious and I didn't like, I didn't mind it. I knew that I had to earn my bones. I believe in that just the same way. Like I told that story in, in uh, about the hockey, um, the hockey story. And, um, you know, it wound up being that, you know, it was tedious work, et cetera. 
but I wasn't seeing growth. And I never really, what I was really looking for, I think in life was a, was a mentor. You know, I had some mentors in my life that came around and they showed me, they wined and dined me in certain steakhouses and showed me the finest cigars. But I would always go to the mentor and say, why are you taking me on your team? Why aren't you hiring me? Why aren't you offering me a job? If you see all of this, you know, don't be bullshitted by people. There are some people in this life that I don't know what they get out of it, but there are some people that are, are, are maybe they have an alternative motive. I don't know what it is, but there are some people out there that do come into your life at the right place at the right time. However, uh, you know, there are some people that I think that also just waste your time. And uh, there was this one mentor that I really thought that this guy had the, my best interest at heart. But it seemed to me that every time I would, I would ask him and I'd say, you know, well, if I'm so great, why don't you hire me for your company? Now, this guy, regional district manager for also another big firm. Um, hey, and hey, Luke, uh, Can we pause right there real quick? Yeah, sure. I want to back up, man. I want to I back up quite a bit. Here's why. First of all, your Nana, your, your rock, your best friend as a kid. There is a lot of elder influence in our lives growing up, depending upon your family structure. Right. But more often than not, there's not a lot of conversation, right? There's not a lot of open storytelling about who they are or where they came from or their experiences. There's not a lot of questions. They're just there. Right. right. And they take you to get ice cream or take you to the park or right. feed you dinner or play with you, whatever. But there's no real conversation. Did you or she ever have like real conversations when you were young? Did you ask a lot of questions and get answers? Did she offer advice? Did she storytell? Like what was the influence with her and you? What was that relationship like? Nana was home. Nana was home to me. My, my, I was born in New Jersey, mom and dad divorced, like I said, and my mother and I lived on a, uh, on an open up couch. Um, we, we sought refuge from my father's, uh, problems with drinking, etc. Um, and we wound up, uh, living with my grandparents in a one bedroom apartment. Literally, I'd say about 550 square feet now that I'm, I know real estate and, uh, Nana, Nana was there to be my buffer while my mother worked. And, um, she, there were so many times we would have tea and coffee and we would sit there and she would tell me her stories of struggle. And she would listen to me and she'd say, Louis, and, and when I would talk to her and I would explain things to her and she'd say, Louis, there's something about you that is so special. And she says, there, you're going to do some great things. And Nana had a way, it was this like kind of majestic way about her. She used to call herself a witch. She wasn't a witch. <laughs> she wasn't a witch, maybe a good witch, but she was, she just knew she had this intuitive way about her and uh, she could look at you. She had people that had so many, like she would have people call her daily uh, that were just like, she might've met somebody, even customer service reps on the phone. Like she calls Best Buy or something like that. And they would just keep in touch with her because that's being that's in how, that's she knew she who was. she was, right? She like she, she was. She yeah. was in alignment with that and she was accepting of herself and her place in this universe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I even have a video, a rare video, and I don't have many of it with her, uh, where she says, My purpose in life was to serve children. She was a cafeteria lady. The most important thing to her was to serve children, especially her own, and um, to, to feed them because she was a roaring 20s baby. And in the 1920s, she she grew up. She was um, in, in the the market crash. She was nine years old. Her mother was an alcoholic. She was a sibling of uh, five, and uh, she wound up being the the caretaker for all of them because her mother really was kind of out sick, on quotations, you know. Sure. Um, so p picking up from that, if you don't mind, I think we can talk about two things. Like, I too come from a childhood of adversity, right? And you get into this mode of survival. And yes. growing up that way, you never really learn to thrive. You learn to survive and that's it. And that becomes the default setting, right? You're, we're all programmed as children based upon our environment, good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't matter. Right. But it is very hard to change that program over time. And it's not until your 30s, 40s, 50s that that usually occurs and happens when you have this, oh shit moment and realize that you need to reprogram yourself in order to make that change. And for you, 
it seems like it comes in two different forms. And going back to kind of the beginning of how you got to where you are today and why you've chosen to build a certain life for yourself. Number one, you have your childhood where you literally had to survive to be safe. Amen. Right? Yes. Okay? Number one. Number two, it is also my personal experience that when you grow up in the street or the hood, I grew up on the south side of Los Angeles wow. uh, during the 80s. Oh, that's, that was rough, yeah. It's sink or swim, dude. Like, that's the reality of life, right? So you're talking about you become scrappy, you become able to face adversity, and you become resourceful. And Absolutely talking about, you know, duct taping hockey pads onto your knees or whatever was happening, oh, right? Yeah. Yep. That is real shit that was happening because you had to be resourceful because right. you weren't taught. First of all, there was no money there, but there's also a scarcity mindset. There's not an abundance mindset. There's not necessarily a community mindset where you're taught how to ask people for help or to go serve people in order to gain right? There's all of these things that aren't there. So for you, jumping to, I was looking for a mentor, like, I get that, man, right? And a lot of times that is from a lack of a father figure for, for us Absolutely. males that we're talking to, but it becomes a big problem, you know? Like for me, my father was a coke addict and not around, right? So he would literally come to our house and rob us and leave the doors wide open and then disappear and then show up a month later, right? Yeah. Like stories on stories on stories about shit that happened growing up with that. Sure. But it wasn't until I was like probably 23, 24 years old that I kind of had the same epiphany. Like, oh, I was looking for a mentor. I was looking for a father. And like, I thought I found that person who was the father of somebody who became my business partner. Mm. And then the relationship went south, right? Because the, the partnership was not working out. I came from a very humble childhood where everything I had, I built myself and I provided and, and built up a business for myself. I did not go to college, dude. I had a 1.8 GPA in high school, but I was really good at engineering. And I ended up working for this engineering company for quite a few years. I made good money. I bought my first house at 18. It was a foreclosure. Wow. And that house, you know, I bought for like 65 grand, put 10 grand into it, lived in it for five years. It was valued at 300 grand, refinanced it, bought more properties. And that's how I got my start into real estate and real estate investing. But at the time of that partnership where I thought I was serving my partner, and helping him and trying to educate him, I got scolded by his dad for how and what I was doing. And this kid was a silver spoon kid. Like he was just given everything that he had. He didn't have to work or want for shit. Right. But it was after that, that I realized, holy fuck, you know what? I don't need anybody to do this for me or to tell me what to do. Like I own this shit. I own me. I need to take responsibility for myself. And I think a lot of it was like, I was looking for permission to take these steps in order to do these right things as a roadmap. So for you, does that resonate? Like, was that part of your experience when you're having these moments going, this doesn't feel right, or this isn't good enough, or I'm not comfortable? Like, what does that look like for you? And how did that lead to where you are today? Totally. I saw active the, in real estate. You, you touched up on a lot. And and when I saw the nepotism within the corporate area and the corporate industry and uh, <laughs> in my company, and I was like, wow, I'm like, okay, how did this guy wind up getting promoted to sales? I was the grunt. I didn't mind being the grunt. I don't mind that at first, but eventually I need to see some growth. Otherwise it's not working. And I think that's for everybody out there, right? If you don't see that there's an opportunity for growth, I think it's time to move. And I think that's where the epiphany started to happen. Well, uh, in 2016, this is where real estate comes in. In 2016, I was on. I was at a sales conference in uh, in Miami with my company, and um, and I got a phone call since I was the main caretaker for my uh, my grandmother. My my mother had moved to Florida, retired. Um, nobody was really around, so I I took care of my my nana, 
right? And um, I got a phone call. I was at Mango's down in South Beach. <laughs> but I got a phone call, and uh, the operator says, your grandmother's had a stroke. She had one of those life alerts. And your, your grandmother's had a stroke. And, I says, and, and he says, it's not good. And I remember I was on South Beach when I had this, and, and it just, it just like destroyed me. I was helpless because I was so far away from her. I was, I mean, I was in Miami. My grandmother's in Brooklyn. What am I supposed to do? And um, we, I, the Lord, I, I got back, I got on a plane that like literally the next, like as soon as I could get out of Miami, the next plane didn't matter what it was. Uh, I got out and um, I, I was happy that God at least gave me two weeks with her. And I remember the last part of her life when I said my last final goodbyes and I, I told her that she can let go um, because it wasn't looking good. I told her with tears in my eyes, I says, you raised me to be the man that I am and the man that I will be. And I will guarantee you on my life, I told her, that I will be the best man that you raised me to be. And that goes across just life in general, business, to move all that just in, in, in life. And I took everything, I says, I'm taking on the torch. And I took everything that she told me. And I realized, and I took on the torch and I, I carried it from there on. Something happened though. I was actually supposed to go to visit my mother uh, in Florida before Nana had the stroke. And when Nana had the stroke, obviously that broke everything up. And I, I instead of, for whatever reason, instead of me going on a vacation, like after she had passed away and I had this bereavement just to get away, something told me to get my real real estate license. I don't know where, why, how. I just, I just, I says, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I did have a dear friend of mine, Stefano Diametti, who a uh, very close friend, brother of mine, who works for Remax here locally. And he was a big influence too. Uh, Cause he was like, you should get your real estate license. And I was like, this and that, but I think I needed to just keep my mind occupied because I was grieving so much and I didn't want to face the reality of Nana's death. So what happened was, is I actually took two weeks off, but I didn't just take it off. I actually just went to real estate school, crammed for the exam and passed it like butter, like nothing. It was just like, boom, I got it. And I still stayed with this company. But I started to see that over the year after I, I, I worked with a, a, a one firm that really, I'm not going to mention their name, but I started out with one firm that really didn't seem like it had my best interest at heart. It was a clicky group of people, but it was very, I'll say this, was very resourceful uh, in regards to knowledge, learning, and developing. All the training, I, I was like, really, this was great. But it, it just seemed like it, something wasn't right there. It wasn't a good fit. What I was noticing, though, was while I was doing real estate part-time and I was getting and I was working for the, the corporate company, even though I was getting paid peanuts with the corporate company, I started to fall in love with real estate and I wasn't getting paid for it. Now this is important because no matter whether if you're you're listening to this, any of the people that are out there listening to this, and if you're going through something right now and you're like, what do I do with my life? Go with when you don't, you've heard the cliche of Go with what you work, do something in life that you love to do, and you'll never work a day in your life. I started to realize I wasn't making any money, but I was craving to learn about real estate. Maybe it was the independence. I didn't have to, you know, like operate like a robot in the corporate world, whatever, right? But it wound up being that it evolved and it kept on evolving. And I'll never forget this. A year later after Nana passed away, I got my walking papers from this company. They laid me off. They were doing a reorganization. Now, this is where the story gets really good. This is a true story, hand of God. I had an interview with Thomson Reuters, my mother's former company, uh, for almost a similar position, if not a better one, at least I thought. And the night before I had an interview, with Thomson Reuters. Mind you, I was doing real estate part-time, not making any money, nothing. I have a dream. And in this dream, uh, 
the first part of the dream, every dream has segments. The first part of the dream, I was back in my old cubicle and my job, the corporate job, and everything was black and white. And I saw a lot of bad shadows and I just, I, a lot of whispers of people talking about me. And I says, this is, I got to get out of here in this part of the dream. So I, I left that part of the dream. And the next part of the dream, I, I, I walk over a gentleman that is on the stairs of my building and he, I walk over him and he's a poor man and he's just, and it's, he's, he's, he's left in the rain. And I, walk, I step over him. I don't know what the significance is. The next part of the dream is everything is in color. It's in technicolor, like on TV. So before it was black and white, now we're technicolor. And it's a beautiful day out. I'm in a beautiful suit, blue suit, yellow house with white trim, green grassy lawn. And my nan is standing out there and I have a, uh, a, a clipboard. And I'm waiting for an appointment to show the house. And I says, wow, this is where, like, I'm, and then there was a butterfly floating in the air. And I remember that distinctively, the last part of the dream that I, I received the text message in the dream and the dream said, and, and the text message read, this is a message from God. The phone lit up, everything wound up coming white, like dazzling white. And I woke up the next morning. The next morning I go to my mother. My mother says, she calls me up. She goes, good luck with your interview. I says, I'm not going. She says, what? I says, I'm not going to that interview. She says, why aren't you going to that interview, Lewis? And now here it is. You know, we came from blue collar, you know, security, job security. That was big. Benefits, big. I said, mom, I'm getting the chills right now. I said, mom, I don't care if I have to, if I'm evicted and I have to live in a shelter. I don't care if I have to live on food stamps. I says, I'm putting all my faith in God in this dream. I says, and I'm going to make it work. It's going to work. It has to work. He told me so. Nana told me so. It's got to work. And I got the chills just now. It's the truth. True, true story. And I, and I says, wow. I says, um, and, and think about it this way. It's like Noah and the Ark or any of the other par parable stories. I didn't know what to do, how to start this business. The first thing I did was I called my dad up and I says, dad, I says, I, I want to talk to you. I'm like, I want to go to lunch. He kind of knew I was going to ask him for money. I needed money. I had no money. I had a little bit of severance uh, and unemployment coming in. And I, I asked my dad, I said, dad, I need five grand. He laughed at me. He says, I'll give you $700 cash. That's all I'm going to give you. Now, mind you, again, I never had any type problems with money or addictions or anything that, but he just was that. That's my father. He was very old school. Um, let me just say for the record, my father's a good man. You know, everybody deals with stuff and I, I pray for him. I love him. Um, uh, and, uh, I, this podcast was not to bash, not bash anyone. So, um, you know, uh, I do thank him for a lot of wonderful things that he has taught me in life and still teaches me to this day. But anyways, getting back to my story, here I am with $700 in my pocket and I, ha and I have a dream and that's about it. I don't have anything. And, I don't know why, but, and I'm going to talk about this, and I, I think a lot of people out there need to hear this, but I am actually a person who suffers from anxiety, really bad anxiety. When Nana passed away and my mother moved to Florida and my cousin told me no with the job and everything just started to fall apart, my life started to fall apart, even though I had this dream of real estate, um, I started to become agoraphobic where I couldn't leave my house. I was, I would have panic attacks, rush to the hospital thinking I have heart attacks. And it was all from the stress. It was all from the loss. It was all from, and I think that God put me. So I said, yes, I'm setting out on this journey, holding my staff in hand. I'm going to become this wonderful realtor and I'm going to do it. And he, lo and behold, did I know that God was going to throw me this mental challenge, this, this, this disorder that I, I had to, to fight, um, which was panic disorder and anxiety. So much so that I, I, for, even though I had my real estate license, I didn't really do much with it. I had to, it just hit me like a, like a tidal wave. And, um, I had to actually learn how to reprogram my mind back into society and being able to, to function again as a, as a, as a, as a working. So I went on food stamps. I had to go on food stamps. I, I, I didn't go on government assistance for housing, but I had a wonderful landlord who is also, I, she's not with us anymore, but she was such a wonderful blessing in disguise. And I, and 
So what happened was, was I had to all, I had to learn myself all over again. On top of that, I had a brother that I no longer talked to steal $500 from me because he has a gambling problem. Okay. I, that the money that I didn't even have, I was at a bare minimum folks. I was at an absolute bare minimum. I had nothing. I had nothing going for me except this one dream, this one dream. And so lo and behold, through um, a lot of help through my doctors and everything else like that, and me being real, I was able to realize what happened here. It was the loss of my grandmother. It was a loss of a lot of things. And, and, and I came out and I came to, and the first thing that I did, I found a job as a delivery guy. What did I do? I delivered pizzas. I delivered pizzas and I delivered bagels. And I mean, and even just going, dude, just like Ray, going to this place of business gave me anxiety. Running, running pizza deliveries, I had anxiety. I had to literally learn my whole brain all over again. It was like my brain just did a reset. And little by little, I said to myself, why am I suffering like this, God? You, you put this, this thought, I was going to be this real estate broker, this big deal. Like, why am I suffering like this? What is the problem? Like, I don't get it. Then something dawned on me. I was going out and delivering pizzas and bagels. But what I was also learning was my neighborhood better than I ever did before. I'm getting the chills. It's true. I was delivering to people. And then you know what I was doing? I was putting my card, my business card on the pizza boxes. The pizza guy didn't know I was doing this, but I was sticking it to the receipts. And then eventually James Nelson comes along, who was a very dear friend of mine. And he says, I want you to come along and come aboard to my brokerage. So to my James, did James Nelson receive pizza or bagels from you? <laughs> I'm sure when he listens to this, I'm going to owe him big time. Yeah, you gave him some ammunition. Uh, James is a wonderful man. I can't tell you how much that man has helped change my life. And he introduced me to Charles Favela and Anthony Mussolino and Sal Gergenti and Laurie Najin and all of the people that I'm with now. And I remember James, he, he, he brought me on board and he taught me how to do rentals. Now, my previous broker didn't, he didn't really do rentals. So that was a big, that's folks, if you're out there and you're just starting in real estate, this is huge. Start with rentals and build your rapport with the landlords because that's what happened. That's what happened with me. While I was running my bagel run and I was keeping to my schedule with bagels in the morning and pizza at night. I would try to, on my days off, squeeze in a rental showing. Then sure enough, once I got one rental, I went over to him and, I, and he paid me my commission, James. And he says to me, as I said, I asked him, I says, how many of these can I do a week? He says, you can do as many as you like. I says, really? He says, yes. He says, so go out and get another one, rent something else. He says, okay. The first commission I made was $600. And that was a huge boost because when you're making tips and stuff like that, I'm like, wow, $600 is fantastic. And then the rest ensued. Then I started to become creative, right? I'm very good in front of the camera. I'm very good in front of, for some reason, that's one of the things that God gave me. I'm very good in front of the camera. I'm not afraid. I'm not shy. And I don't mind telling my story because everybody's human. Nobody's perfect. And I started to realize like my, my talent with in front of the camera that I became this like this, this, this local real estate celebrity, I would go on Facebook and I would start to do my rental. Like I would do, like showcase an apartment and you've actually probably seen some of my videos. I still do it today, to this day. I've seen the video, your, your little video tours on Facebook, right? My little video tours. And I also make it fun and I make it entertaining. And I, I joke around about, I'm, I'm, I'm like totally honest about the apartments. Like there's no closet space in this place. You know, you can't even hang your hat. And I'll maybe I'll put my hat and I'll, I'll make it fall, you know, something like that to, you know, and then before you know it, I started to friend people like within my network and then other friends of theirs would friend me. And then before you know it, I had this major social network Community. of people that just would tune in. And then out of nowhere, people wanted to help me. People were like, oh, I have an apartment to rent. You know, this guy seems like a pretty good guy. Then one day, this is when I kind of I was like, I knew I was starting to build some clout with people and I was gaining popularity. I walked into the bagel store that I, I was delivering in. I held the door open for this lady and she goes, oh, you're the real estate guy on Facebook. And I was just like, dude, that is so cool. So, <laughs> Right? Isn't that cool? 
So then, so then little by little, I just kept on grinding and grinding. And then I had a couple of friends out there that saw that I was serious. One thing about this industry, folks, that if you're thinking about, you're just starting to get involved is, is that first off, people aren't going to get, just give these listings to you because, and they rightfully so, this is one of the most like valuable assets of their whole entire life. You need that one person that's willing to trust you and you got to be consistent and, and the more you're consistent, the more you're out there and reminding people, oh, I do real estate, I do real estate, and you start to like, you know, um, gain some popularity and people know that's all you do, somebody out there is going to give you a chance. And when you do that, don't worry about messing up, just go with it and learn everything. Uh, one thing I got to say in life that any mistake that I made was a beautiful mistake because I learned from it. It was all a lesson to be learned. So here I was and rental started and I became this like rental sensation. Michael Deshavi, I love you very much, buddy. Very good friend of mine, also a fellow realtor. And uh, he calls me the rental king of Bay Ridge in Brooklyn. Uh, I, mean, with, I don't know, man. After that story, I feel like your show should be bagels in Brooklyn, you know? <laughs> It'll be a delicious story, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Or like Bialis be in Brooklyn, like show. something something relevant, man. I think that'd be a nice little segment for you. Um, so in, 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 in closing, uh, it just kind of wound up being that, you know, uh, rentals turned into sales. And my broker was really a, a huge help in this. I, the, the, it was funny, folks. You know, you, you have a different perception of life sometimes. When I was in college, I thought, oh, you can only make money on Wall Street. There's plenty of money to be made in Main Street. There's plenty of, of people to help. And you know what? I'll tell you what. What I love about my job, I mean, I love what I do, is knowing that I'm giving peace of mind to people. That when they come to me, you're not just hiring some random dude. You're hiring a family member. You're going to hire somebody who's compassionate. You're going to hire someone who is like like of the, the flock, you know, somebody who cares, who cares. The money is secondary. There's been plenty of times where I could have made more commission on a deal, but I told my person, my client, I says, listen, this is a better deal for you because I know that at the end of the day, if you do good, you get good mom. You're probably, that's who told, taught me that. Nana taught me that who passed it down to my mother who taught me you do good, you get good. Um, and and that's what it's all about. And then at the end of the day, the money is secondary. The money just comes to you. It just winds up, you know, it, 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 that's just, it just happens. It's part of the, the, the process. So, so Lou, to pause right there real quick and go back. Like I want to unpack something because I think, you know, I think the way we grew up to some degree was similar. And what happens is, is we get programmed and we have this mindset. And like you said, right. Oh, I was just going to get a city job and I was going to do this. And it becomes that mentality of the only way to earn an income or earn money is to take action and do these specific tasks where you get paid X amount of dollars per hour or X amount of dollars per year. And that is a big mental shift to make, to change, to overcome, to relearn. Like, you know, hey, I can do one real estate transaction that maybe takes me 10 hours, maybe it takes me 30 hours, but I can make 30 grand in commission or 12 grand in commission or whatever the commission number is right. versus working this corporate job, making 25, 30, $45 an hour plus benefits. How did, how did you push through that? Or did you even have to push through that? Did that cross your mind? Like, did you realize that you were making that change? Like, what was that experience for you? Because you didn't learn that from your family, right? Like you learned that by school of hard knocks, getting kicked in the face yes. by failing and your world crumbling and having to literally begin again, conscious or unconsciously doesn't matter. You had to begin again and move forward and move through it to figure it out. You know, there's this saying, right? Like in the middle of hell, you don't stop right? Like you have, to, you have to keep going. You have to push through it to get to the other side, but Absolutely. it's hard. Absolutely. I, I had a lot of, well, first and foremost, I think uh, at this point, we all know that I am a, a very spiritual man and I'm not someone here to evangelize people, but at the same time, take what, take what you like and leave the rest from this uh, podcast. But, uh, you know, my faith is very, very, very strong. And I think that I'm very blessed to have that in my life because 
otherwise I know that, I mean, look, put, put this way, a lot of my success had a lot to do with, you know, yes, preparation, meaning opportunity equals success, but a lot of it was the right people that came into my life. And I feel that God works through people. And, you know, um, sometimes it's hard to decipher certain people. Like I said previously in this podcast, that there are certain people that I felt that they had good intentions, but they might have had alternative motives. And I never understood why they never helped me. But that's okay, because that was my journey. What gives me this, this burning sensation, I think, does have to do a lot with my upbringing. It has to go back to the coffee table with Nana. And for her to say, there's something special about you, you're going to offer something to the world. I mean, not a lot of people like I just, you know, I know she was my grandmother, but I don't think she said that to anyone else because I, I just don't feel that way. Her and I had a very special bond. My mother was an inspiration to me because she, you know, she was a person of adversity. She conquered a lot from going from being a housewife leaving the house, leaving the car, leaving the money from my father and, and all of whatever he had to offer because of the, the, the problems that my father had and then having to reinvent herself, you know, pulling up her bootstraps, you know, and, and, and going to work. We slept on an open up couch. I'd be damned to let my life go to waste in vain let my my parent my mother my, my even my father but my grandmother all of her teaching and everything just to go done and down the drain it ain't happening on my watch no way so every day i remind myself of that but also the fuel to my fire is the adversity those that have told me that i didn't have the aptitude for sales like one of my managers at my former company when I worked in corporate, I didn't have the aptitude, folks, for sales. Not looking, look, because we're only on the subject. I'm not a person that brags. I think we all know, uh, you know, where I'm coming from here. But I, I'm, I'm probably closing about close to 20 deals this year. I only started doing rentals again after COVID because COVID destroyed our rental market here in Brooklyn and everywhere else pretty much. But I'm on my 12th rental uh, for since July, which usually I'm good for 50 rentals a year. 50 rentals a year, anywhere from 15 to 20 deals a year. Uh, so far, that's what I'm, I'm on. I didn't have the aptitude for sales. When people say that I can't do something, that's the worst thing you can tell me, that I'm not going to be able to do it because I will find a way. And I'll tell you this right now, time is on my side. You know, I... I to give you uh, my responsibilities right now are just really my, my French bulldogs. I have two wonderful French bulldogs that I give them the best bones in, in, in all of the land. Every time, especially when I make a big commission, they get a piece of steak or a piece of chicken. And, um, but they, they light up my life. I am on a mission for those people out there that have, have told me that have laughed at me. Um, and I'm not only saying just in my career, I'm talking about romance too. You know, girls that have said no to me. I use all of this as, as fuel because if I didn't, I, I don't think I would really have that. I wouldn't have any real reason to, except for the fact that I, 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 I know that I, I want to live to my best potential for my Nana and my mother and my father. But, you know, any, any adversity, that is my fuel, that the negative energy. Somebody tells me that you can't do it. That's impossible. Let me tell you something, folks that are listening to this right now. Don't let anybody give you any bullshit. Don't take shit from anyone. Like Billy Joel would say, don't take shit from anyone because I'm telling you right now, what, what is in you is true and you can do this. Now, it comes with a lot of sacrifice. It's going to, let me tell you, I have, there was plenty of times that I had to miss out from, miss out on a lot of wonderful events and parties and stuff like that. But in order for me to survive in this, I had to do what I had to do. I cut out drinking for a while. I didn't, I went on this total health kick. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to do anything like that. You know, uh, not that I, you know, I'm saying like casually or anything. I needed to just, I needed to be up in the morning. I had to be ahead of that conversation. 
I had to be the number one goaltender. I had to be at practice early, a half an hour early and a half an hour afterwards on the ice. The same way I incorporated that into my life. I thank God for that. That's what keeps me going. I love, I love to show people off that's, that have doubted me. I love it. I'm sorry. It's, maybe people think that it's pompous or, or it's maybe it's, uh, you know, um, what is it called? Uh, what's the word? Um, Lou, it doesn't matter. Here's the reality, right? There, there's a saying, those who throw bricks at you, don't throw them back, collect them and build your empire, right? And Amen, amen. I love it, right? Yes, that's, absolutely. That's Absolutely. what's happening, right? You are collecting those bricks. You've been building your empire. It's been a long road. Yes. It's been a painful struggle. Yes. Some because it had to be. Some probably didn't have to be, but you don't know what you don't know, right? So we learn as we go. And one of the hardest things to do is to, well, a lot of them, right? Be patient with yourself, number one. Number two, forgive yourself and stop judging yourself. Like it doesn't, matter we are all living a life but yeah. it is we get one that we know of you know it's a, a dress it's not a dress rehearsal it's the real thing you want to be present you want to be in the moment you want to build your empire today because you may not have a chance tomorrow and that's the objective like live your life do what you want to do that makes you happy and fuck everybody else absolutely i agree i totally agree um I don't know why, but I have this, this internal fire that just keeps on burning. And, and I, I mean, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I just want to, I don't know where I'm going with it yet, but I'm really excited about it. Feels good. It's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Keep word. That's all that matters. It feels good, man. And like from where you and I came from, we didn't get that grown up. Nobody no. said that the goal is just to feel good. Mm. We didn't, right. Right? right? We struggled with managing feeling bad trying to get through day-by-day -day survival. And I tell you what, if one thing I've learned over the last several years is it is my duty to feel good, to wake up and feel good, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through kind action, whether it's through my children, whether it's through my dogs, my goal every day when I wake up is to feel good and enjoy what I'm doing and who I'm serving. And it's, and it's okay to fail. And 100%, it's okay. man. I've failed so many times. 100%. If you, you don't learn, if you don't fail. So embrace it. When somebody closes the door and tells you to fuck off because you door knocked on their door and they said, fuck you, laugh at it. Say, okay, I will. You know, something like that. Just be like, you know, just go with it because the next person you don't know, you don't know the next person will say yes. And, and you're not there to really be a pain in the ass. You're actually there to help people. So if they're saying, fuck you, well, then they're really hurting themselves. Right. Especially if you're doing this sincerely and you're doing it for the right reasons. But yeah, going forward in the future, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, hopefully, you know, whatever God has in store. I, let, let me say this. I live one minute at a time, not one day at a time, because especially in today's crazy world, we don't, we're not guaranteed the next minute. Uh, I live one minute at a time and I try to stay present, but always, you know, I look ahead. You have to look ahead um, and, and uh, be concerned with what's going to happen later down the road. want to make sure you plan for the future. I'm getting ready for 2022. We're winding down 2021 with a very successful year. I'm in a very, very good place. And I hope that whoever has listened to this podcast will get some type of inspiration. If you're listening to this right now and you're broken and you are defeated, you're listening to this for a reason. God is wanting you to listen to this because just as I'm sharing you with my, my sharing with you my testimony on how I have succeeded in life and how I will continue to succeed by his good graces, you will too. You have to do the work. You have to be prepared for the sacrifices. You have to be prepared to die emotionally. I've died emotionally three times in this industry. What I mean by that, I have broken down and cried as a man saying this. I know I'm not going to get into the whole gender thing but as a man saying this okay crying alone and just you know frustrated with the way things are going or life life is what you make of it through the good graces of god and hard work and perseverance and preparation and opportunity meet all together get right with god get right with yourself get ready and get prepared because after listening to this podcast i'm hoping that you will now take the next step into the rest of your life Lou, that was beautiful, man.
It's great. Great, great summary. We unpacked a lot in this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing with us and going deep. And uh, I have a good feeling we're going to be doing another episode sometime soon. Definitely, Ray. It was an absolute pleasure. Again, whatever I can do to help at my end, I'm here. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity to share with you my experience and everyone else out there. Uh, God bless everybody. Be well. Good luck. All right. Again, you do good, you get good. Lou, where can these guys find you if they want to reach out? You could find me all over social media. South Brooklyn Homes is where at South Brooklyn Homes. You could find me there or you could even uh, go to Facebook, Lou Guida, licensed real estate agent or realtor, I believe it is. Um, but I'm all over the place. And um, and if you ever want to email me uh, at southbrooklynhomes at gmail.com, I'd be happy to answer any of your questions and give you some pointers because uh, each one teach one, right? When you get up there at some point, we're all, I mean, it's great to be up there, but it's even more special when you help others succeed as well, right? So, you know, please feel free to reach out with any questions. I'd be happy to help you. Lou, thanks for joining me today, buddy. Raymond, thank you very much. Be well. Hey guys, it's Ray. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thanks so much for being here and we'll see you on the next one. 